You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. So good to be here today, be able to speak to you all and like to say hello to our online uh, campus and so thankful for everyone that listens to Bayshore Community Church and here's Pastor Danny's great messages and Pastor Danny is away. Uh, In fact, I believe he's ministering in Texas this morning. So, uh, but we are going to be doing a series called The Ultimate Story. And so over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear some testimonies about the stories of several different people. And everybody's story is completely unique and different. Yet all of our stories entwine together to make the ultimate story, which is his story. So today, you're going to be hearing my story. And for those of you who do not know who I am, my name is Jeff Hudson. I am the care pastor here, and uh, I've been here for 26 years. (laughs) And our hope in this series is to hopefully get you uh, to uh, think about and meditate upon your story, which I know is not completely written now, but on what God has done in writing your story. And as you reflect on it and think about it, that you can begin to share your story with other people that they may begin their journey or their story with the Lord. And I am going to begin by reading two scriptures, which start to give the transformation of two different people in two different, uh, uh, different varied ways. Acts 9, 1 through 6. But Saul, yet breathing, threatening, and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and asked of him letters to Damascus unto the synagogues, that if he found any that were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, it came to pass that he drew nigh unto Damascus. And suddenly there shone round about him a light out of heaven. And he fell upon the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and enter into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And then Mark 2.14. And as he passed by, talking about Jesus, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the place of toll, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, 
Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, had what you might say was a really supernatural conversion experience where there was this bright light and a voice speaking to him from heaven. Now, I would dare say that most of us will not or have not had that kind of conversion experience. Most of our conversion experiences are probably more like Levi, also known as Matthew, where Jesus just sort of says, come, follow me. Maybe it's in one of our services, and Pastor Danny has has given a a great altar call, and he had you lift your hand, and you, you said yes to Jesus. That's sort of like Levi or Matthew's calling, Matthew's conversion. I would say mine is somewhere in between. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background uh, of my life because some things, sometimes we sort of think that it's only the good things that happened in our life that sort of make us who we are. But in reality, it's everything that we've ever gone through that makes us who we are. And I grew up on a little farm five to seven miles from here. My dad was a tenant farmer, and my mom was a farmer's wife. Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Now, me and my sister, we had an uncle and aunt who, when I was about three to about five, maybe, that would come by the house, and they would pick us up on Sunday mornings and take us to church, where I had a very pleasant encounter, where uh, I really got the sense that church was a nice place to be. Now, a lot of people sort of laughed at this, but you got to remember, I was like three-year-old. And back in that time, the Methodist church that we were attending, and I think probably most Methodist churches, and maybe other churches in the area, the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other. And so when we went into church, I sat down next to my Aunt Jenny, and there was a gentleman across the aisle who beckoned to me, sort of slid over, patted his seat, come over and sit with me. My Aunt Jenny sort of nudged me and I didn't know this guy, but I went over. And when I sat down beside him, he reached in his coat pocket, and he gave me a wintergreen lifesaver. Never forgot that, because that said to me that church was a good place to go. Here was this gentleman who didn't nearly know who I was, but he took the time to do something nice and encouraging to this little kid. And to this day, I love wintergreen lifesavers. Okay. Now, <clears throat> my mom and dad, as I said, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad were good moral people. Uh, they raised me and my sister and my brother uh, to be good to do the right thing, to to try to be nice and good to everybody. And I thought we were a very happy, 
loving family until one night when I was about 13, my mom called me and my sister and my brother out of bed in the middle of the night and to say that my dad was leaving. Now, I'd never heard my mom and dad argue. I'd never heard them raise their voices at each other. Now, they had disagreements. I understand that. But I never heard them really fight. But now, my dad is leaving us for another woman. Now, about three years later, they would get back together. And sometime later, they would receive Christ. And they would develop one of the strongest marriages that I have ever known. Now, I went to school in Laurel. I grew up here in Sussex County, like I said, a little farm not too far from here. And I went to Laurel High School. But unlike most of you probably, my high school experience was not very pleasant. I was not a brainiac, so I didn't fit in with that crowd. I wasn't a jock, so I didn't fit in with that crowd. And to be nice, I'll just say that left the other kids. Most of my friends from elementary school, junior high school, most, not all, but most of them quit school as soon as they got 16. Well, some of them went into drugs and all kinds of different things that I was happy I didn't go into. My mom and dad used to say all the time when I would complain about school, oh, there'll come a day when you wish you were back in school. Well, I can be honest, I've never seen that day. <laughs> never seen that day. Well, when I graduated from high school, I wasn't for sure what I wanted to do with my life. Now, I had a couple of job interviews lined up, and, but I just didn't know, if, do I want to spend the next 20 or 30 years of my life working in a factory and never going anywhere, just, you know, staying here? And though I love Sussex County, and I tell people this all the time, I've been all over the world. And I've never seen a place better than Sussex County. Now, I, forgive me, you people who are from Pennsylvania or New Jersey, and, everything, and I know you probably think your hometown was the greatest too. But I just love it here, always have. But anyhow, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought that I would go into the Navy. And um, I figured that would give me four years decide what I wanted to do. Now, there's two things that I learned while I was in the Navy. One was discipline. And that still does me good today. Now, I know none of you are like this. You just rise up in the morning singing, rise and shine, give God the glory, glory. This is the day the Lord, oh, I am so glad this day. Now, I know that all of you, you probably wake up that way. I have to say, especially as I get older, there's a lot of days that I wake up and say, oh, no, Lord, not another day. Can I just have... 30 more minutes of sleep, just 30 more, <laughs> you know? But the discipline 
that I learn. I used to wonder all the time. I was a, a operational specialist, a, a radar man. I, I always say I was a dope scope. So I spent most of my time looking at uh, radar scopes. And it used to just bug me terribly. And I used to think, what does it matter whether my shoes are shined or not to look at a scope? <laughs> I never could figure that out, but it was discipline. Discipline. Now, the second thing that I learned, and most people laugh when I say this, but it's not meant to be funny. I learned to drink. And by the time I got out of the Navy, I was an alcoholic. Now, we all have different Ideas when somebody says an alcoholic. I used to think about the alcoholic was that skid row bum laying there on the sidewalk with a bottle in a brown paper bag. But there's all kinds of alcoholics. One of my favorite shows, me and Kathy watch this almost every night while we're eating dinner. It's Last Man Standing. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but every night when she comes home, Vanessa has that glass of wine. Now, to me, that could be classified as an alcoholic. You know, there's all kinds of alcoholics. So uh, I learned to drink. And when I got discharged from the Navy, like I said, I was alcoholic. I started with a couple beers, and then it led to more and more. And so when I was discharged, it was early in the summer. And I thought, well, I'm just going to take the summer off and just enjoy the summer. And so I just partied and drank until one night I got stopped with a DUI, and I woke up in jail. And I'll never forget looking up at that little gray bunk above my head. And I thought, this is where my life is going. I have got to change. Now, notice that. I have got to change. And I tried, but I couldn't change myself. Now, I share all this background information again because all of that, my mom and dad separating, uh, being an alcohol, all of that stuff, being in the service, all of that work, has worked in my life to make me who I am. Okay? Now, while all this was going on in my life, something wonderful happened to my mom and dad. My uh, parents have become Christians. And my mom and dad have been, continue to be, the greatest inspiration to me in my life. My mom is sitting right back here in the corner. Uh, she's 91 years old, strong woman of faith, strong Christian. Now, the thing about my mom and dad was they never tried to force their beliefs on me. Now, I understand in some cases there's a place for tough love. I don't believe that would work on me. Now, I was still living with my mom and dad. Like I said, I was partying. I figured I was going to get a job later in the fall, and then I'd move out, and, and all of that fell apart. 
But my mom and dad never said, uh, you're not going to do that in my house. You know, if you're going to get out of it. They never did that. My mom and dad just loved me. They showed me God's unconditional love. They just loved me. And I can remember now my dad coming home from revival meeting. Again, they never pushed it. But every once in a while, my dad would just talk to me and coming in one night with tears running down his face and just simply said, son, I just wish you could know Jesus like I know Jesus. They just loved me. So everything was going on, all this stuff, uh, again, uh, and maybe my circumstances, not as bad as some people, but to me, it was like, I have no future. Can't get a job. I can't work. I can't, you know, I'm just stuck here. So I decided to start reading the Bible. And maybe some of you, I just, I want to just say this. Maybe some of you are going through difficult times in your life. I encourage you, read your Bible. I mean, you should read your Bible every day. But you should really read your Bible. I began to read God's Word. Now, I didn't understand it. And my dad had this big Wycliffe commentary. Thing was, it was weighed a ton. But I, I would read a couple verses, and then I would read this commentary to try to figure out what the Bible was talking about. Because you can't understand God's Word if you don't have His Holy Spirit in you. And so I'm reading, and I'm in Ezekiel 37 and 38. Now, for you good Bible scholars, you know that's all about Gog and Magog coming down against Israel. Now, I'm reading this, and then I read this commentary, and he says that during the time Ezekiel's writing this, which Gog and Magog, and it was all about Turkey and Russia and Iran and Germany. He said when Ezekiel's writing this, they were just little nomadic tribes. How, how did this man know this stuff? God began to work in my life. And then it happened. March 23rd, 1975. Now, I know people, some people have a testimony. They don't remember the day they were converted. They just, I have an uncle who grew up in church, and he says, I just always have loved Jesus. I don't, I don't know if I had a specific day. I had a specific day, and I'll never forget that day. March 23rd, 1975, started off like any other Sunday. I got up, I went to the refrigerator, I got a beer for breakfast, I went and sat down. My mom and dad had gone to church, my dad had left the TV on. And there was this preacher, TV evangelist. Now look, I know TV evangelists have, uh, some, there's some weirdos out there and all that stuff, but you'll never hear me criticize TV evangelists. Because this TV evangelist, man by the name Rex Humbard, pointed his finger at the TV right at me. And he said, are you tired of the way you're living? And I don't know if I verbalized it, but I looked at that bottle. And I said, yeah, I'm tired of the way I'm living. 
He said, I know someone who can change your name, can change your life. I said, who? And he said, his name is Jesus. And I fell in the floor on my knees and began to sob. I hadn't cried since I was a little kid. But I began to sob, and I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I don't know if you're real. But if you can do what that man says you can do, then prove yourself to me. And God has proved himself to me ever since that day. Acts 2, 21, and it shall be that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now look, I may not have confessed my sin. I may not have said, hey, Lord, be Lord of my life and all the things that you're supposed to say, but God knew my heart. And that day, I believe my name was written in the Lamb's book of life. The next Sunday, I went with my mom and dad to church, and then the end of the service, that pastor gave an altar call, and I went forward and made a public confession. Listen, I know I was saved on March 23rd, 1975, but on March 30th, when I made that public confession, there was something that happened in me that totally transformed my life. And I implore you that if you've raised your hand last Sunday, or if you're receiving the Lord today, or if you received the Lord in the last few weeks, I implore you, confess and tell somebody that you've made Jesus Christ your Lord. Matthew 10.32, Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. About a year later, Sunday night service, I'd been baptized and all the things that I knew that I should do and and. Back in those days, most churches had a Sunday night service, and after the service, there were several of us. Sometimes they would be four, sometimes seven, and we would just go up around the altar, and we'd pray for our church. We'd pray for our pastor. We'd pray for revival. So we're all there praying, and everybody else has slowly drifted out, and it's about midnight probably, and I'm still sitting there sort of praying and for weeks, I had felt the Lord saying he was calling me. But I, I, I didn't know nothing from nothing. I didn't know what that meant. All I could think, oh, yeah, you called me. You saved me. And I'd start praising him. So that night, I'm sitting there, and I begin to feel this, that God's calling me. And so I, my Bible's beside me, and I picked my Bible up, and I held it up, and I said, Jesus if you're calling me to something special, if there's something that you want me to do, show me in this word. Because I don't want to do anything that's outside your word. And then, God is my witness. I heard a voice so loud and clear and distinct that I turned around and looked to the back of the church because I thought somebody had said something. 
But the voice said, 2 Peter 2, 5. Now, I'm a new Christian. I don't know what 2 Peter 2, 5 says. So I flipped through my Bible, and here's what it says. And spared not the ancient world, but preserved Noah with seven others, a preacher of righteousness. I knew. I mean, it was a shock to me. You're calling me to preach? Me, who's so introverted that when I was in high school and we had to do a book report, I would read the book. I'd have the book report already. But when the teacher called my name, I had such fear of standing up before people that it was, I can't, I would take a zero. Even though I had the work done, I just, I couldn't talk in front of people. That's how introverted I was. And I'm saying, God, you're calling me? <laughs> All these other people that, you know, you're calling me. So God called me. I'm about to wrap this up. Ever since I was a little, even before I was a Christian, all I've ever wanted out of life, I never, never wanted to be, I wasn't interested in being famous, having my name up in lights. I, I never asked to be up on a platform. All I've ever wanted was to have a wife that loved me, have children that loved me. I wanted a good job that I could support them, a nice home with the proverbial picket fence, white picket fence. And today I have all of that. I have all of that, except for the white picket fence. I have a lovely wife named Kathy, who this November will be married 45 years. I've got three beautiful daughters, Joanna, Megan, and Carrie. They're all successful, doing well. They're married to fantastic young men. And I've got four beautiful grandkids, Josiah and Jocelyn, and Ella and Jarek. And so I, I, I have everything that I've ever wanted. Now, I did pastor, I was lead pastor for about 10 years. And sometimes I have people ask me, uh, did, do you ever desire to go back and be a lead pastor or you ever get tired of sort of being number two? My answer is always the same. The second mouse always gets the cheese. <laughs> now, some of you will get that on the way home. Now, it's not always been easy. We've had, I've had some personal struggles, 1987, uh, I won't go into all the details, but I lost my baby brother. Uh, 
And uh, the toughest part about that, he was missing for three years. And you can imagine my anguish that my mom and dad and me and my sister went through, not knowing whether he was alive, dead, what was going on. He was just missing for three years. And then after about three years, some hunters found his remains back in the woods, not too far from my mom and dad's house. Uh, so difficult, difficult time. 1999, I was diagnosed with stage four seminoma cancer. And after radical treatment, several months of radical treatment, uh, the Lord brought me through that. Then May 10th, 2016, I lost my best friend and my hero, my dad. Uh, and that's been the hardest thing that I've gone through so far in my life. I've served in all kinds of different ministries, started out many years ago, children's church ministry, where I ministered to three to five years old. I've done youth ministry and everything up to seniors ministry and everything in between. And there's been struggles. Anybody that's ever done any ministry, you know that there's struggles. There's people don't agree with how you do things or the way you do things. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Ever since that day, March 23rd, 1975, when I said yes to the Lord, I've never looked back. Amen. I've never... And I'll qualify this a little bit. I, I never really desired to be anything other than serving the Lord. Now, there was about a 30-minute period back in, I guess it was 1987, when I was associate pastor at a church in New Jersey, and a pastor called me in the office one day and... <laughs> told me how great I was. You want to be careful when people start telling you how great you are. And after he got done telling me how great I was, he said, but I feel, now listen, I feel like your ministry here is done. It was about a 30-minute period where I went home and was crying to Kathy, and if I could be a shoe salesman, I would do that. I'd get out of the ministry. But as a whole, I've never really wanted to do anything. Serve the Lord. Whether it was cleaning bathrooms, being a janitor, putting up walls, so uh, framing up walls so we could put in a Sunday school room somewhere, uh, uh, painting, uh, whatever. It's okay. all I've ever wanted to do. Now, our challenge to you is to think about your story. Your story is probably very different than mine, although it could be similar. But your story is uniquely your story. And I'm not foolish enough to think that everybody out here that heard this message today is just going to fall on their knees before Jesus because of my great testimony. Understand that. 
Hopefully it's touched some people. But the thing is, your unique story is the only story that some people will listen to. They may not even hear my story. They don't like care about my story. But there's people out there that will hear your story and they, their lives will be changed. Let's pray. Father, again, we come before your throne of grace. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your everlasting love. And Lord, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, but I can stand on that word that you love me in spite of myself. You love me with your everlasting love. And you proved that when you sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. And Lord, I know that that can be and is part of the story for everyone here. If they've not received you, Lord, today's a day of salvation. Today's a day to call upon the name of the Lord. They don't have to do it here in the service. It would be great if right now in their hearts they're praying, they're asking you to be Lord. We believe that's happening. Lord, we know there's many others out here who have already started their story, their walk with you. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage them to use their story for your honor and your glory. And Lord, we pray that you would just continue to open our eyes that we might see you. Open our ears, Lord, that we might hear you. And open our hearts, God, that we might know you in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.